Melanie Nevis. Today we are sadly missing the lovely Tegan Eileen. However, we are joined by Peter. Hi, Peter. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so Peter, um, Peter and I met at Tegan's in December of 2022 for Christmas, and we haven't actually really seen or spoken to each other since then. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh while Peter, like us, we're not scholars, um, Peter's not a scholar with this particular material. I mean, he's smart and he knows a lot of stuff, but not necessarily like has dedicated his life's work to this. Um, <laughs> he is really interested in different theories related to Arthurian legends, more specifically related to Merlin, because everybody loves Merlin. So... Peter, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join me and to kind of delve into this a little bit more. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we have like kind of touched upon different theories as we've been talking about the Arthurian legends because mm -hmm. we've gone into Arthur and Camelot. We've talked a little bit about Merlin already, Guinevere and Lancelot, the Holy Grail, mm -hmm. and of course Avalon and Morgan Le Fay. And each of, of those things kind of have stories and theories surrounding them. But, I mean, Tegan did mention a specific theory that I'm going to pick your brain on a little bit later. Before, okay. we, yes. <laughs> before we get into that, um, what kind of made you gravitate towards Arthurian legends or specifically Merlin? Ooh. That's a really good question. Um, I think like many young boys, uh, I think we gravitate towards the sort of iconic heroes and stories of good versus evil. And then as we get older, we start to see more of the complexities within not just the Knights of the Round Table being these heroic uh, figures, but then sort of the complexities of the interrelationships of good versus evil. And, and then you start getting into the uh, gender politics and Mm -hmm. um, women being part of these cultures and the whole the, the whole story of Merlin and Morgan Le Fay or uh, there's another young woman in some of the other uh, accountings of Merlin seeing his future and he's uh, he knows that even if he follows after this girl this woman he's going to die and she's got no desire to be with him and he just pursues her regardless uh, before all of that, I think I was just super interested in magic. Uh, you know, I think there's, you, you get into sort of the heroics of knighthood and then that sort of chivalry and that world. And then you get introduced to the fantasy of, you mm -hmm. know, magic powers and prophesying and being able to do unbelievable, really neat things. Uh, and I think that just really appeals to my creative uh, part of my, my brain because I'm like, ooh, yeah. what can I had these magic powers i could create things <laughs> and so then when it started to magic i was like ah that's so cool so it is really cool that would probably be the, the hook <laughs> i think okay so if you could have a magical power any magical power at all Ooh. what would it be and i know that's such a hard question and I, yeah. I go back and forward on what I would choose because like sometimes I'm like, yeah, teleportation, being able to just like travel at a whim or fly. And then I'm mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. nah, it'd just be really, really cool to talk to animals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, there's, there's some really, really interesting possibilities out there when you start talking about 
magic and what like i think one of the things that's always appealed to me is the possibility of creating something uh mm -hmm. whether we want to hone in and be really specific and be like able to create homunculi or golems to, to work for me or if we go even as like obscure as saying like oh i just to have the uh, the power to create something that I'm imagining. So I don't know necessarily what uh, I want to imagine, but let's say, oh, I imagine the Philosopher's Stone. Everyone's had mm -hmm. the, the stories about the Philosopher's Stone. Being able to imagine that and then have the knowledge come to create it, uh, I think would be a really cool, cool source of uh, of power. But I, I feel like that's also kind of a little cheap to the to the the superpower and the, the magic power question because it's like, yeah, oh, then I could do can... whatever I wanted. You so can if I had create to... teleportation. You'd have the right. backing of like how to do it. Right. So if I had to choose something other than that, because I feel like that's kind of the cheat code to like, how do you mm -hmm. get a million wishes from the genie <laughs> sort yeah. of thing? Yeah. <laughs> if I couldn't do that, I would probably have to say I've always, uh, I've always been fascinated by either flight or teleportation, those sorts of things, just to be able to... Uh, travel without any restraints especially in today's day and age where trying to even visit family back in the united states is like well i'll see you guys in five <laughs> years because that's when i'll have the money to fly uh I but know. yeah but speaking with animals is fun i would love to know what my cats are thinking right but that might yeah. be dangerous if my cats could actually communicate with me do you think that they're sometimes like plotting to murder you? Like, you know, comics from the oatmeal. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I don't know if my cats are. I think some cats are planning on taking over the world. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And also when you were kind of describing your hack, so you call it, right? Your hack. Do you watch yeah. Community? Uh, I haven't watched it in forever. Um, I, I watched a few of the episodes when it was first coming out, but is it still even going? Yeah. Is it running still? No, no, it's not anymore. Oh, okay. It hasn't been for a long time. They made it to six seasons and now everyone's waiting on the movie. Six seasons in a movie, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess you haven't watched it that much because that no. was like something that you hear throughout especially later seasons where it's like six seasons in a movie, which is kind of like oh. the game of the game. Yeah. So fingers okay, crossed yeah. on that. But while you were talking cool. about that, there's, <laughs> there's an episode where um, it's like the, they're playing a video game. It's a video game episode. Do you remember seeing this at all? Yes. Maybe. Anyways, Abed yeah. discovers this video game and realizes that there's like a bunch of codes in this video game and essentially creates his own village and then has a bunch of little mini Abeds to like do his bidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you were like kind of like creating, creating, you know, you were, you were talking about creating your own little golems and minions to do your bidding. Yeah. And that's just immediately where my brain went. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a really funny, that reminds me of, uh, an episode of Rick and Morty where they keep going deeper into a multiverse where it's smaller yes. and smaller universes and they keep creating yeah. people to work for them. Wow. Rick and Morty's <laughs> great. Same creator though, Dan it. Harmon, right? So Yeah, exactly. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Let, okay, so bringing it back uh, because yes. <laughs> you were also just talking about, you were talking about, you know, how you were pulled towards these things. And yes, there's good and evil, but but there's something that is very 
appealing about Mm -hmm. these legends and myths and legendary Tolkien in 1938 held a lecture called on fairy stories. And Mm -hmm. in it, he Mm -hmm. describes how fantasy stories are forged by bringing together very familiar elements, but in unfamiliar ways. And then Mm -hmm. when these elements are combined, you have a new form. So the world of the fairy begins or like this fantasy world begins. Mm -hmm. And then man just becomes a sub creator because they're kind of like creating themselves almost. And I feel like that's of the way that you described it essentially describes what, what Tolkien was laying out in that statement. Yeah. Um, so Arthurian legends have a grip over us. And throughout the centuries, there's been tons of authors and filmmakers that have kind of mm-hmm. like had their take on the, the legend, right? So you've got novelists oh, yes. like T.H. White's Once and Future King. I love, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the Jack White series because mm-hmm. in it, mm-hmm. Merlin is, it's, have you read it? Oh man, I've read so many series. I'm trying to remember. Uh, they start to get mixed in my brain. Yeah, uh, they do. And because it's been years since I've read each of the series individually, <laughs> the, the further away I get from when I read it, the less clear which is from which I've. Remembered. I get it. I totally get it. Um, in it, Merlin is described as like just just a person and um, one that is scientifically and alchemically inclined, and you can really mm, see mm-hmm. how in that time when this would have been happening around the year 500 450 um that would have been like magic right with people don't have the knowledge and the backing for it and then uh you know you have things like monty python and the holy grail (laughs) exactly (laughs) so like do you have a specific television show or story that kind of serves as your favorite version of an aspect of Arthurian legends, like you know, there's Nimue on Netflix. Yeah, wow. Yeah, is there like a specific or a couple of specific ones that really like pull you? You know, I, I, one of the ones I don't know if I would say it pulls me the most, but one of the ones that immediately jumps to my mind is a memory from my youth watching mm-hmm. the Disney uh, animated version, The Sword in the Stone, which with the Ar- Arthurian legends is all over the place, but. That's one of my first, like, uh, sort of, oh, yeah, that's a fun, uh, this sort of crotchety <laughs> older guy who doesn't really want to be involved in king making and king shaping, getting pulled into it, and then fed up with the young person not listening to his advice and, <laughs> uh, and, and deciding to to go to the future (laughs) and ends up in in Bermuda and I think one of the things that really pulled me into that is the battle between the good witch or the the good Merlin and uh and the bad witch uh and then just the fun animation of that uh but if I would have to say uh any sort of shows yeah, I'm trying to think of the, the the last show that I really got hooked into. With I, I had started watching the Merlin show, but it was a little bit. Oh, the BBC one. Yeah, yeah. It's a little campy, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a little bit campy, and uh, you know, I have only so many amounts of uh, amounts of hours in a day, and when I'm trying yeah. to watch certain things, it's like, uh, um, yeah. No, I watched but, it. Uh, I think during the pandemic, so. 
Oh, yeah, that, that, that's a good time. time. Yeah, we, we, we caught up on a lot of different shows uh, <laughs> during that time as well. Um, but I'm just trying to think of any others that were particularly... The whole Once in Future King series was a really mm-hmm. good series. Um, T.H. White? T.H. White, the, yeah. The Once in Future King? Yeah, so that's one of the ones that really sticks with me. And uh, I think that's also one of the really interesting theories that I had talked to Tegan about uh, Mm -hmm. is from T.H. White when he introduces this whole concept that before him with Merlin hadn't really been expressed in literature anywhere. So he's one of, it's a really interesting thing to watch the way that Merlin has changed throughout the the decades uh, and centuries of him being around, uh, which is what I think is one of the more fascinating aspects of the Merlin uh, character. I read, I read a series, and it was more so based around the, the Avalon and the whole Celtic world versus just specifically Arthurian legends. And those are sorts mm-hmm. of the things that I really remember a bit more than like one specific or a couple specific stories yeah. that pull me towards that. Because I just love that world of the myth and yeah. the, the, the battle between the Fae and the tricksters and the the possibility of slipping between worlds and just that, that all stuff is just super fascinating. And I really enjoy the fantasy behind it. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I want magic like that to be real, right. To have this yeah. other world, this hidden realm. And I, I mentioned to Tegan, I feel like in certain places in the world, you really understand how and why these stories come to be and why people oh, still believe sure. in it. Right. And um, I, sure, I sure. feel like if I travel to those places, I'd be like, yes, elves, I will give you some of my alcohol as like a little offering yeah. here and like just pour one <laughs> exactly. out for you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> cool. So one of the theor- theories that Tegan had mentioned that I I'm still kind of want to get my mind around because I feel like the way that she described it and then I related it back to how if you were if we were to go through a black hole, we would basically be able to see the beginning of the universe, the mm-hmm. beginning of the creation of the universe uh, right. before we get spaghettified into smithereens. Um, so there's like a Merlin theory that made me think of that. And it was that he's going backwards or something like that. I Yeah. So uh, the sort of like official name that's come about through it is called Merlin sickness. Uh, It's this idea that someone is living chronologically backwards in time than the rest of us. So what that would mean is that uh, yeah, this this starts to get really weird in the brain (laughs) hand. You saw my face. It starts to break our brains. It starts to break our brains a little bit. Um, But what this would mean is that, for example, let's say you you met. Uh, me at uh, Mick and Tegan's party and I looked like I was 45 and I that you asked me how old I am and I'm 45 and then two years later you meet me and I'm 43 because I'm aging backwards but you've aged forwards and but so, it, eventually, so is it a Benjamin Button situation it's not it's not a Benjamin Button situation it's not the sense of being older and aging forward with us but growing okay, yeah. younger Okay. Because Benjamin Button, he he aged in the he same aged. direction as everyone else. So right. the same memories that he made with the people in his school, they would all have that going forward. Right. Uh, 
So what we have with this theory, and it's actually T.H. White who introduces it in, in its concept. They don't fully explain it and go into it, but this is where this idea starts to develop from. Because mm -hmm. in some of the Arthurian and Merlin legends, there's this whole idea of Merlin having the foresight and the knowledge of certain events that will come to pass, but it's unclear how he gets this information. And uh, He's a prophet. In, in some, in some versions, in some versions, in some versions, in some versions, yeah. in some versions he's a prophet. In some versions, he's he's uh, being taken by the the spirit of the wind, by the arts, and coming with this foreknowledge. And so, T. H. White proposed, uh, I believe it's T. H. White in uh, Once a Future King proposed this idea that he's actually uh, he was actually born after the death of King Arthur, and started to grow up as King Arthur died and started to grow younger. So when they first meet for Merlin is the last meeting for King Arthur. And the last meeting for King Arthur is the first meeting for Merlin. So then he, he knows everything. What the end result is going what to be. What the end result will be for, Mer for, for King Arthur, which is why he's able to predict King Arthur's future, but not necessarily his own. Because okay. he is not seeing his own future. He's just living everyone else's future, which is a really uh, strange way of thinking about time, which I think is fascinating. It is fascinating. So in that case, when Merlin is meeting Arthur for the first time and he's like really young, like how long young is, or like he's old. No. Oh God. Merlin. <laughs> okay. Right. Merlin this, is this meeting. Is, you, have to, you have to distinguish who, who's who's first meeting because it's when when you start aging when you start running like yeah, this so this is so when who, merlin is first meeting arthur for the first time merlin is super old merlin is super old so uh, how was he born as an adult i don't understand uh sorry so if if we're coming from merlin's perspective merlin yes. is 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 young and it's King Arthur's final dying days. So Merlin, uh, that's that's Merlin's first encounter with Arthur as being, uh, let's I don't know what age Arthur King Arthur dies in in yeah no one does reality. So <laughs> let's say King Arthur dies at sixty, uh, mm -hmm. and Merlin is ten years old or five years old at that time, super young. So he knows that King Arthur. 60 it's the whatever the end of king arthur's life at that point because so, he's growing up and so as he gets to be 15 you know another mm -hmm. 10 years down the road king arthur is 50 as he gets to be 25 king arthur is 40 interesting so he's they're they're aging in opposite directions in the timeline yeah. which is it, it it'd be like if uh it, it, it gets really hard when we start to try to wrap our, our minds around it because we're only used to thinking in one direction yeah, linearly yeah, in of... time because mm -hmm. we've never been able to step back into time. But if, if you were to think like, okay, if in this moment in time we diverge and you continue to go forward, but I start going backwards, I'm going to know everything we've already just said yeah, because that's stuff that we've said, but you're not going to know it because you're now moving in the opposite direction of me because it becomes your, it becomes, it becomes your future, which is my past. It's a, it's a real, it's a real mind sort of like 
I like twisting. It <laughs> it's really fun because the way that that explains a lot of the whole for like you know, forgetfulness of the mm-hmm. Merlin character because there are some lines where like uh, King Arthur and Merlin are interacting and Merlin says, "How long has it been?" And they've only been interacting for like a, uh, a couple of minutes and. Merlin responds being like, oh, really? It's only been that long. And for him, it's been a different amount of time because he's yeah. not used to this passage of time. And Fascinating. Forgetting conversations that haven't happened yet for Merlin that happened for King Arthur. That's, <laughs> that's so interesting. And it's so interesting to see how different authors then like kind of explore um these things so like i'm just trying to figure out one when was the once in future king written uh 19 something 19 uh 1958 yeah 1958. so it's a relatively recent uh like addition to yeah. the whole merlin concepts uh and and th white was the first one to kind of like play with this theory i like the theory yeah. and in, in a lot of ways it makes sense and again in that case it is taking familiar elements mm-hmm. of, of time and just like existence through time and bringing it together in an unfamiliar way that exactly. is really difficult to wrap your mind around yeah and really uh, a very interesting approach to a familiar hopeful legend, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the timeline that they were just coming out of. Uh, they were just coming out of the Second World War. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also in the same the same era of, um, you know, Tolkien, as you were talking about Tolkien and J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien and um, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Uh, all of them were taking very familiar pieces of legends. And there have been some people who have attributed um, Gandalf uh, in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit as being Tolkien's sort of Merlinic Merlin. character, character taking on that wise man druidic magician role. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do we know if that was? Do we have writing from Tolkien saying, "My inspiration for <laughs> Gandalf and the wizards is Merlin"? Uh, but there's a lot of familiarity within those those character those characters that that keep coming back. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Tolkien took oh. things from so many different cultures. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to to kind of like create his world. And he was just, he was a genius. I don't care what anyone says. Oh, like he's yeah, he's a genius. Yeah. Um, that I could definitely see him being inspired by all of these stories around Merlin. Oh, for sure. Okay, so that's, that's, one theory and probably like that's the one that tegan mentioned um yeah. but it's you said most you have... the, it's the most mind twisting like wrapping your brain around it gets really fun and really hard but it's a fascinating idea of this people living in different directions of time which is yeah well and the most... then when you start thinking of the other world and the fact that you know there's all these stories and legends of people entering the fey realm and mm, mm-hmm. they get lost to time and they don't come back. Or if they do return, everyone that they know has died because even though it's just been two days for them, it's been actually 200 years, right? And right. time time yep. just works differently in the realm of the hidden people. So if Merlin has a connection to that, which I think you can argue that he does for yep. sure. 
then it kind of tracks with what we know of that realm. Well, and one of the one of the interesting connections there with him and the Fey realm is that one of the original origins for his story is that uh, he's a fatherless creation of a liaison between his mother and either a demon or mm-hmm. uh, an unknown entity. Uh, it's a very it's a very familiar tale that we'll see in a lot of legends and myths throughout the world this whole sort of zeus and (laughs) uh, demigod-esque uh liaisons between mortal and other and uh, other yeah whether that be demigod or or demon or fae and that's one of the earliest references to merlin is that he's this offspring of something yes (laughs) yeah and i guess the, the Christianized versions that I've heard have basically equated it to more of a demon-like creature yes, rather than course. a fairy-like creature. But that makes sense with when you look at when these stories were actually written down because they were Christianized pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But I like the idea of it just being an other entity, not necessarily a demonic entity, which I hadn't right. actually thought of. Well, and when you start getting down into it, the the definition of uh, what is demonic versus what is other versus what is <laughs> is all super convoluted. And yeah. uh, being in a mainly Christian influenced world, at least in our part of the world, mm-hmm. anything that is not considered "quote unquote" underneath that category of approved, like angelic, yes, is then demonic. So. Whether, whether or not you believe in fae or believe in angels and demons, if it's not from God, quote unquote, the good <laughs> part of our side, it's then the demonic side, uh, which is just a little, I think the world is more complex and more beautiful than that. And I think there's a lot yeah. more amazing things out there than just uh, believe it, uh, but it's God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. It's amazing too, because they take all of these stories that have these pagan origins oh yes and you know there's ties i I talked about it with tegan but there's ties with morgan le fay linked linked to Mm -hmm. celtic goddesses and things like that yes um and i mean you see this throughout christian lore and stories that have been christianized christian yeah i mean yeah (laughs) christianized Um, is a good word yeah sure (laughs) um where they they take these really fantastical stories and then just like add their Christian spin and kind of take them over uh, to make them more palatable, but also to make them more relatable so that you can conquer mm-hmm. and say, but look, we have all this in common. And a lot of yeah. the characteristics of these goddesses continue on and, and like these gods continue on in these new, right. new characters. Mm-hmm. New forms. Yeah. New forms. Yeah. So one question I have, um, do you believe that Merlin is based on a real figure or do you believe Hmm. it's completely fictional or somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between. I think uh, with a lot of these sort of legends that become grandiose with time, I think there's always a kernel of some truth Mm -hmm. hidden within it whether it was just as simple quote unquote as druidic 
practices of people who are wise men, wise women, druids practicing their their religion, their culture, and which is from a Christian perspective, magic and uh, consorting with the unknown out there. And, <laughs> uh, and then because they wanted to create a character that was going to support their uh, reason for leaving France and invading another country, oh, let's create a story around this wizard who's guiding our king who's coming here to your land. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was a 100% made up because as you said earlier, a lot of these legends, the more you trace back, you go, Oh, this looks like this and you're using this name, but that comes from here. (laughs) And so it starts to get really, really interwoven. And now the name Merlin, I don't know if that was a human who existed and they, they liked that name and, and took it. I do mm-hmm. know some of the like first, um, first references to the specific character that we know as Merlin was um, uh, in a work by an author called uh, Jeffrey of, uh, of um, Monmouth or Monmouth. Monmouth. Monmouth yeah. um, and supposedly, you know, his goal uh, was to create this Anglo-Saxon uh, character that they could mm-hmm. rally behind and be like, this is our reason for, for being there. But whether or not there was characters or people before, Jeffrey was like, oh, I see this really cool thing in you guys. Um, I need a name. <laughs> and of course, in today's era, we would name it something other than Merlin because we have a different reference point, but that yeah. would be yeah. a, a name that would catch the attention of that era. Um, it's really interesting to, cause there's some really, uh, <laughs> what gets really interesting to me is the people who think that they're Merlin uh, of today. Um, oh, do tell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so this this is really interesting. Uh, there there have been there have been instances of people uh, throughout all of time who are convinced that they are someone. Um, yeah. Whether whether that be true or not uh, is not necessarily the job of my <laughs> my very unprofessional uh, psychoanalysis role to <laughs> to say whatever that that syndrome is. But there there are people who out there today believe that they are the reincarnation of the energy of Merlin, uh, which is a really interesting concept where he, where this one particular guy that, um, uh, that I'm thinking of it, uh, I forget if he's English or, um, Welsh. He's not, he's not American. He's not French. Okay. <laughs> uh, if he's, if he's of the Welsh or the, uh, the somewhere Irish in the or, UK. Yeah. The UK. So, uh, he, he is a, uh, a painter uh, uh, and he's got his human name his birth name that his parents gave him but he was like at like eight or ten they gave him the middle name of Merlin uh, for some reason like okay and he was like I always knew that yeah it's it's uh, I forget his name what is his name um yes uh, so this this guy named George real simple George George uh, he's like <laughs> Yeah, George, George, he does, he, he knows how to brush his teeth and do all this stuff, but the, the artist and the, like, the powers that he has now, mm. how do we uh, determine those claims? But that energy, he says, is is Merlin, and he says, am I immortal? No, the human George will die, 
but the spirit of Merlin, me, right. it's a really interesting thing to, to hear him talk because he, he believes truly that he is the spirit of Merlin in George's body. Uh, and he disassociates so he the George reincarnation, I guess. And he believes that he's I'm the not... reincarnated form. I'm not sure or if he thinks it... he's the reincarnated form or if really that, that spirit of Merlin has okay. reintroduced itself into the world through him, his parents. He, I mean, he okay. doesn't deny that his parents got together and had him as a child. His parents right. named him a certain thing, but he always knew he wasn't that name that you know it's it's a it's a very similar thing to when we hear people say um you know my parents named me chris but i always knew that i was a chrissy and then finally i was able to put words behind it and then i started to make the changes i needed to become who i was which is a really well it it sounds very much like did you ever hear and this is actually kind of um a, a sad scientific experiment of the three Christs of Ypsilanti. Uh, that is rem- ringing bells. Uh, there were the, there were the, the three people who thought they were Jesus and they were all put in the same room. Yeah. Together. It was is kind of, the one that I'm a, thinking of? yeah, yeah. It happened in the 1950s and it was actually a pretty harsh scientific psychological experiment um, but yeah, the, the, the psychologist gathered three psychiatric patients and they were delusional and thinking that each of them was Jesus Christ and they forced them to live together in Ypsilanti Hospital for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was a cruel experiment, but it, it was a very interesting experiment. But the, the point of it is that like they have these beliefs where they are mm-hmm. adamant that they are Christ. And and we've heard stories right. about this time and time again. And I think that whenever we do hear these sorts of things, the instant reaction is that person is delusional and there's absolutely no right. way that they could be. In this situation, I don't think like if he, if this person, George, believes that his artistry is like the, the spirit of, of Merlin, I suppose, and he's not harming the world. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Yeah. But I like, what kind of art does he do? He does like paint and poetry. Okay. Uh, so he, he does painting and poetry and uh, he, he hopes that with his art, that it inspires people to ask the deep questions and to like what to look. Uh, he doesn't, he didn't, spec- he didn't specify. He was just okay. like, I hope that my, I hope that my art inspires you to ask the deep questions to, to, to look at like, uh, the, what did he say exactly? One of the things that I was like, that's an odd thing to say was to look at the mathematical questions or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. To bring up big questions mathematically. And I was like, okay. And then he keeps going on like visually, colorfully, you name it. So it was like one of these. So he yeah. does still have like that because because I believe that if there was a Merlin like figure and and I with all the stories because Merlin has a long life and life is long and kind of goes through different facets. You know, there's there's some theories that Merlin is a bunch of people kind of condensed mm-hmm. into one. I think that maybe like these are just telling of different areas of someone's life where you change a lot throughout your life. Maybe you yes, go from clearly. being 
a soldier, an advisor to the king, and eventually you do live as a recluse after seeing a lot of war or something like that. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> I think it's interesting then that he's like working on art and and being like, ask the big mathematical questions. A lot of our stories of Merlin, it's plausible that he was a scientist or alchemist of mm-hmm. sorts. And obviously, George is aware of this fact. And a lot of yes. art can have a scientific element to it as well. And I just think that's oh, kind of for sure. Kind of interesting yeah. that he's still pulling on that kind of science realm of like ask the big science scientific questions, but also look at the pretty thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think that's one of the things I really like about the sort of um, alchemy and wizard uh, stereotypes is that mm-hmm. they are these very oftentimes very forward thinking, uh, maybe even radical in terms of what they're bringing forth. Uh, but they're also not just saying science only or alchemy only. And then mm-hmm. it's all this beauty intertwined, intertwined with the, the messiness of nature. Uh, cause that's, yeah. uh, you know, when we think about some of you, we were saying earlier, those, those spaces that feel like the, the veil is thin between the worlds, uh, it's really in those messy bits of nature that you go, oh, okay, there's something more mm-hmm. here, whether that's just the vibrations, whether that's just the earth, whether that's something actually spiritual or another world that's just beyond our perception yeah. is fascinating. And I, I think that's one of the things for me as a wizard characters is what's really appealing is that it's not just mm-hmm. your brain smart and so you get to create all these cool things it's this intuition Mm -hmm. married with the knowledge of nature married with the messiness of human life and hopefully we can get ourselves to make something beautiful from it all yeah yeah absolutely i wholeheartedly agree um we've got time i think for do you have another theory yeah <laughs> oh uh some some of the other fun stuff behind uh so behind intrigued. his history yeah yeah so so there's you know there's all these wonderful little branches in history and there's uh one of the um uh, uh it's uh it's kind of a disturbing um or less pretty uh association with with the Merlin and the Arthurian legends. Uh, but it. it was, let's, let's hear, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, unfortunately during the, uh, the, the reign of Adolf Hitler, <laughs> mm. uh, where, uh, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with a bit of his quest for the, um, the, the grail, the, the occult, not just the grail, the occult. It was like, yeah anything that was considered uh the grail the anything that was magic it was in his pursuit of power Mm -hmm. and uh they really adopted his um the idea of the the round table and knights and chivalry but with this really twisted viewpoint on it and the only reason why i bring it up is because as much as i really love all the the sort of wonderfulness that comes out of a lot of the history of, of Merlin, it's easy to see how these Arthurian legends and the Merlin character can be really quite easily twisted and distorted. 
uh, by just mm-hmm. the intent of the people behind it. Because the the SS and the Nazis were like, oh, knights riding around through the the woods. Yeah, we can we can be those knights. We're doing the good of our mm-hmm. new King Arthur, the King Arthur, which for them was Hitler, so that right. we could bring forth the the new kingdom. So right. it's just a really really interesting to see how something that was it was a tool in some aspects for the nazis but they really believed uh in some of the aspects of it whether or not we can say with any conviction that uh they believed in all the magic or they believed in all the occult or they believed in all that it was one of the things that they really hooked their claws into and ran with in terms of how he could see the projections uh, of the third reich coming about as this new Arthurian world, which is really kind of scary when we think about the the ease of how that goes. And so that's why I would say it's a little bit darker. It's not necessarily a Merlin theory, but it's, no, it's but... just the way that the, the history and the... Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to actually bring that up because we've seen it time and time again throughout history where um, stories of the past are kind of then reinterpreted and reformed and everything is always up to interpretations and humans are inherently flawed. Um, Mm. Things that are now abhorrent and we look at it and we're like, how did we ever do this? We're once legal. We're once encouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it really is just a matter, a matter of interpretation and it's frightening how quickly humans can have their mind influenced i suppose yes by by these stories that are so like we're drawn to them because they're they're bigger than our life you know like that they transcend time and they are these epic tales and and that's i think what makes people gravitate towards them they're like otherworldly tales yes but like they do kind of lay out a lot of things that humans deal with, but on a much larger scale that we're not used to. Right. It's a very universal story being told through these characters that are mm-hmm. easily malleable for mm-hmm. any, any any era. Because when we talk about the, the the first time we hear Merlin, that's in what I think like the 13th century yeah. is the first reference. And the fact that he's still present in even modern culture, whether you say Gandalf or Dumbledore or... Uh, whatever that wizard uh, character is, mm-hmm. Merlin, the old wise man, the, old wise man, the sage, yeah. that person, mm-hmm. that archetype has been around for for now millennia. Uh, yeah. And the fact that he's coming and doing whatever the, the thing is that helps direct humanity. Yeah. Uh, I think Tolkien's character is a great one because especially in The Hobbit where he comes in and he drops a bunch of dwarves on the door of the the poor Bilbo Baggins and he's like peace out <laughs> it's a very uh it's a very <laughs> it's a very like I've set you on your path and now good luck uh, a very wise <laughs> man yeah trajectory uh where it wasn't his fault whereas in Lord of the Rings he's like I got trapped I'm sorry I couldn't come and help you I was supposed to but it wasn't yes. my fault <laughs> but it wasn't um, my fault yeah it's not me I swear so yeah. <laughs> you know what I who I really like in The Hobbit is Radagast. 
not yeah. the movie. The, the book no, version no, 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 no. people because the movie no, portrayed no. him as a fool and he's not a fool he's badass <laughs> he's a I, I really love in the book how they start to kind of differentiate between, between the types of wizards because mm-hmm. with Radagast the Brown you've got the nature wizard and then you hear about you know uh, Saruman the white which he then no longer becomes the white because he starts becoming mm-hmm. evil but yes. you, you talk and, and you know the sort of like what is the I guess in today's parlance, we would say something along like, what is your class? Are you a nature wizard? Are you a a theological wizard? Are you a brains wizard? Like those Mm -hmm. sorts of, are you, it's a really interesting thing. And I think I love Radagast in the book. Yeah, I feel like Radagast is definitely like, he pulls from a lot of druidic elements to create Radagast, right? Radagast is like much more in tune with nature, lives in the wild, bends nature to his will, or like not even bends it to his will, but works with it. Yeah. And works alongside it to about the ideal end goal for both parties. Uh, Yeah. Like you were saying, symbiotic, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And I think we've got time for one more if you have one more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so the, the, one of the really fun things about the Merlin story, the Merlin history, is that in the early legends, there's not really this conflict or revelation of uh, Morgan Le Fay, or um, uh, there's another story of a young woman with a different author, but Morgan is the, the person that most everyone knows in the history mm-hmm. of the Merlinic legends. Um, and one of the ideas, uh, or one of the theories that have been that has been presented is that uh, it was around the same time and era where women's rights or women's uh, freedoms were starting to be more and more expressed. And there was this fear within the religious and the ruling community of what would happen when all those subservient women folk started having the power. And so there's this really interesting idea because we see a shift in the story of Merlin and him pursuing this relationship with Morgan Le Fay and mm-hmm. the negative quote-unquote end result of him either being entombed forever in a cave whether yeah. that be him being trapped in um, I think it's an oak tree in one of the stories uh, yeah. and this sort of this sort of um, almost hidden warning in these stories to men to say mm-hmm beware of the trickster woman who's going to take your power because that's Those all women. that she wants and it was it's a really i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to look at from today's perspective but it's mm-hmm. also really interesting to see how it was used as a form of propaganda to yes. to to really not necessarily twist Merlin's character, Merlin's legend, but a, a way to use that well-known, amazing story of this wise, benevolent, knowledgeable sage, and mm-hmm. to to use women as the usurper of of that as a real form of control, and uh, so it's, it's it's one of those like, oh, that's a really interesting thing to think about in terms of propaganda and how people have used that so, 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 so long ago and how we just change it every little bit today, not necessarily with Merlin, but with others. 
I mean, yeah, we, we see it time and time again. Um, Morgan Le Fay is a perfect example of the patriarchy kind of <laughs> rising up and mm-hmm. shutting down someone who was once a healer, wise woman, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not all evil. I mean, she wasn't all good, but she no. was just a person. Um, right. <laughs> And, and I think like, it's important to realize a lot of these things were written during the time of witch hunts and during this rise of patriarchy and patriarchy has been in place for a long time, but it's really like it's (sighs) ebbed and flowed. Right. Um, And there have been periods where women kind of rise up again and then they kind of disappear. And so Morgan Le Fay is a really good example of that. And, at one point, Arthur, not Arthur, Merlin pursues this relationship and it's a beautiful relationship and they actually like each other. I mean, she's weird and still like wants to lock yes. him up just for herself, which is, you know, she wants a him to develop Stockholm and- syndrome <laughs> or something. Like it's a little weird, <laughs> but she doesn't entomb him to his death. Right. Hey, is Merlin, is there a theory that Merlin is still alive in Yes. one of these things? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the really fascinating uh, things that is persistent is that either either Merlin is still alive and still entombed. <laughs> in, which is, which is, that's, I think that's the worst off. Yeah, that <laughs> poss- sounds terrible. Possible of, uh, of, of the, the possibility that he's still around. Um, uh, or that he is still living and is just out there under a different name and still part of the wider world, whether he's an immortal or not is just a really fascinating, but it is one of the persistent things through uh, a lot of the communities that uh, either do the celebrations near the, Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's this city um, that had an Oak tree in it that supposedly Merlin uh, said that when the when the oak uh, tumbles down and when it leaves the town, that's when the town will cease to exist. And in like, oh, I think I've in like, heard. what town is this? It's a Camardon uh, or Camardon. I I can't pronounce it the way it's actually. Yeah. it's like Camardon. Um, <laughs> and they actually have a piece of an oak tree in a different. Uh, a, of that oak tree in a different village in a in a museum because back in the 19 somethings it was poisoned because it had so many people coming to see it that somebody just got sick of uh everyone coming to it so they somebody in the in the in the village poisoned it but they still have parts of the the oak tree in town so that it's not completely gone because they still hold on to this idea that if it leaves the town's going to disappear that's why would you kill a tree that's so mean to the tree (laughs) yeah i don't understand the logic behind that but uh fascinating because apparently the town will cease to exist if yeah i mean honestly i hope that that's the alternative because well okay don't you think though that if you were immortal you'd kind of go crazy eventually that's a really uh 
It's a really interesting question. It's a question that I've wrestled with in uh, <laughs> a lot of different sort of things because uh, going through a bunch of you know your life, you just ask these questions, and yeah. uh, you, you start to you start to wonder. And certain things might inform those questions, such as where you grew up, and uh, for example, the Christian idea of going to heaven for eternity. When you start thinking about that, you're like wait a minute, that means I'd be immortal. That means I live forever. Uh, and so you have to start wondering about like, I would think after a certain point, either my brain is completely filled because uh, I do think that there is a limit that we can reach of mm -hmm. what we can learn, or we are not at all the same as somebody who would be immortal. So if Merlin was immortal and living forever, I don't think that they would be the same they're uh, not made of the same stuff. Human, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and whether or not whether or not he would be a little crazy because of that, or the things he does seem to be a little insane, probably. <laughs> I would definitely I would definitely go insane if I was alive forever because yeah. I think one of the things that would uh, be really difficult is that sort of uh, I would want to remove myself from as much hurt and pain as possible, and seeing people mm -hmm. that I got connected to, got close to, fell in love with grow up and die to do that over, over and, and over and again. over again, I think would, would, would ruin people. So I, I do think if he is still living, he is definitely more of the hermit varietal of, like, of, I think if you're a recluse for that long, you also go insane. Depends. Can you talk to nature? Can you talk to animals? That's Can true. You... Actually, then I'd I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, if I'm out there vibing and I and I can talk with the trees and I can talk with the animals and, and I can and hear the the music and the voices and the wind that supposedly Merlin could because mm -hmm, he was mm -hmm. taken he was taken over by the spirit of the wind in early legends to be able to bring forth the prophecies. Uh, right. You know, if if that's if that's the, the connection I have, then the the quote unquote mere mortals around me, like why would I want to really interact with these people who are capricious and petty and will probably end up, you know, <laughs> destroying the the nature around me that I love so so much and dear? And eh, I don't <laughs> fair play, but honestly, fair play. That actually sounds perfectly reasonable in that case because. I think that as soon as I said it, I was like, but if I had animals around, I think I'd be okay. <laughs> well, and if you could talk with animals too, yeah. I mean, there's so much that you can just like, I think that there's such a fascinating intelligence that we mm -hmm. don't know, have a real way of expressing as humans that goes on within animals and, and other quote unquote lesser creatures. Uh, the, yes. people, the, the things that we don't fully Mushrooms are so understand. Cool. Oh my mushrooms goodness. Mushrooms are so cool. Don't, yeah. Mushrooms are so strange. They're, they are, they're aliens. Okay. They are completely aliens. They are, you You could have like nine episodes on, on mushrooms because they are so insanely cool. Watch Fantastic Fungi if you haven't already. Really oh, I haven't. I'll have no. to, yeah. I'll have to take that up. <laughs> yes, Fantastic Fungi. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, documentary. Cool. Nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have to look that up. Yeah, the the whole the whole concept of side uh, of mushrooms and are they plant, animal, uh, mineral? Uh, there's some really fascinating conversations out there about uh, what how to classify the the fungi in general, 
mm-hmm. then even specific mushrooms. It's just like, I never, I didn't have any idea how complex that world was until what was, oh, I don't remember what it was. Some little thing <laughs> popped up and then I was like down a rabbit hole with it. And it was just intense. It's amazing. They're so cool. So, so cool. Yeah. And I think that's where we'll leave it. So Peter, thank you so much for joining us this week um, and exploring a few more theories around Arthurian legends, but like, let's be honest, mostly around Merlin, because Merlin is the character that I think most people are enamored with, or like mm-hmm. a lot of people are enamored with. A lot of us are also enamored with Morgan Le Fay, and of course, Who you know, she's be? like a deity that that people kind of devote things to in in the occult and stuff. But Merlin's one of mm-hmm. those too, and he is like a character that so many others are based on repeatedly. Um, I mean, he did some shady stuff too, but you know, he's awesome (laughs) as a whole. So thank you for delving into some of those theories. Some of them definitely twisted my brain and I'm sure twisted the brains of people listening. Um, Yeah. And if someone can explain that concept of living backwards in time from other people better than I can, I'm sure there's people out there who have explored that, that (laughs) are able to more (laughs) concisely put it. Uh, Please direct me towards that because it it Mm -hmm. starts to melt my brain when even I think about it. It's... Like, as soon as you opened your mouth, I, th- I think you probably saw the face that I made where I was just like, hold on. <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new series, still to be determined. <laughs> um, and we will see you then. So join us next time. And again, Peter, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Hopefully. Thank you so much. Thanks.